This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be interviewing attorney Gabe Koch. Gabe, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Seth. Thank you for having me on. Our pleasure. Uh, a couple of housekeeping items, special shout out to financial advisor, Robert Lehman, who connected us. And full disclosure, we are not giving any legal advice on today's podcast. Gabe is in the state of Florida. If you are not in the state of Florida, please seek counsel licensed where you are. Gabe, tell us uh, what, st- what inspired you to go to law school back in the first place? So uh, back in the first place, uh, you know, I got a degree in political science, minored in Spanish, uh, kind of with the idea all the way through college that I wanted to go to law school. So, uh, you know, I really enjoyed reading and writing and, and the logic, uh, you know, behind uh, behind reasoning and uh, figured that or math. I wasn't very good at math. So law school was, uh, was kind of the end. And then how did you, arrive, tell, tell us a little bit about the type of law that you're practicing now. So right now I'm actually uh, an in-house uh, attorney. Uh, I practice mostly technology agreements. So negotiating, uh, you know, and on behalf of uh, company agreements with, you know, big software providers, you name it, uh, you know, some of the ones I won't name, but some of the bigger ones we probably use on a daily basis. And then, uh, you know, other types of, of deals as well. And then a lot of data privacy work, uh, both here in the, in the U.S. Uh, and then also some international, I mean, I work here in the U.S., but also working on some international deals as well. Okay. So you are a general, general counsel in-house Obviously, your client remains confidential. We won't talk about them, but we will talk about um, 
the type of work that you're doing. Is this what you've always done or did you do other types of law first? So I uh, started, I graduated quite some time ago. I won't name the year. Uh, Fair but, enough. <laughs> uh, a, a, long, a long time ago. Anyways, uh, I started in litigation. So I think everybody out of law school figured they wanted to be Perry Mason. Uh, and so went and started doing litigation to quickly figure out uh, I wasn't Perry Mason. So I ended up going into more of the transactional world. And then about eight years ago, uh, kind of just by happenstance, I started working on a, a project that uh, a client needed, had some privacy uh, and technology aspects to it, really you know, fell in love with the, the practice. And I've just continued to, uh, to grow that practice, whether I've done in-house and I've also done some private practice, but uh, you know, it, something I didn't think I'd ever do. I do not have a technology background or, or a privacy background, but uh, I, I'm... I feel lucky that I, I can do it. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. So talk about that learning curve. Because if you just, I mean, you said, I don't have a technology or privacy background, yet you're doing a lot of that work. Obviously, you had to learn that along the way. Talk a little bit about that journey. So, uh, you know, it's quite a quite a, a difference between litigation where, you know, you have a lot of rules that are set out and, and rules of evidence and rules from the judge and rules from civil procedure. It is very structured, uh, turning to what I do from a, a technology standpoint and then just from a, 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 a transactional standpoint, there's really no rules around it. So, A, it was just, you know, a pretty high learning curve to figure out what, you know, how to negotiate an agreement, what customers and clients were looking for, the important part, not important parts, and really, that thank goodness I had a good mentor, and so I really you know he 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 gave me enough rope to hang myself so to speak. But you know before I'd hang myself, I he was very open uh, you know open door, and I would say hey you know mentor this clause came up I don't know what this is do we like it or do we not like it and he you know I'd reason through it and then he helped me you know, kind of learn to 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 think uh, you know on, on those complex issues by myself uh, from a privacy perspective. Uh, we uh, had a UK attorney who I worked with, who was a very uh, uh, successful privacy attorney. And, and again, as I said, I just happened to fall into a project that had to do some work. Uh, and she really taught me the ropes. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, no matter what you do as a lawyer, most of it comes down to you know, logical reasoning. And, and, you know, there's not always a right or a wrong answer. It's really what answer is more right or, or why is it right or why is it wrong? And so, regardless of your practice, that ultimately really boils down to, you know, how can you, what's your logical argument, uh, you know, and, and the reasoning behind it. And if that makes sense, uh, you know, that, that's kind of what you, you know, the instinct you go with. That makes a lot of sense. What do you, why do you think more businesses don't have in-house counsel? So, you know, I think businesses, and I'm a very small business, just sophisticated enough or can't afford it, but, but some, you know, kind of medium-sized businesses, I think don't have, in, out, don't have in-house counsel because a lot of them don't understand or don't see the need uh, in, until they start working with law firms or more sophisticated uh, projects to then realize they're spending, you know, uh, lots and lots of money on hourly fees uh, and you can get a you know attorney who probably was one of those that was billing you the hourly fees. In fact, that's how I, I ended up where I am now. Uh, you know, to come in and a it's more expensive. Your CFO is going to love it. And b uh, you know they then become dedicated to you. 
and they then help you, you know, help you really notice how many legal issues there are that go in running a business. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think, like, as I said, companies just don't really know that they, they don't know what they don't know. So I don't think they know they need it. And then when they do, I, you know, they can't really figure out how they ever got along with, without one. Well, that's certainly uh, the goal, right? Is you want them to wonder how they ever lived without you. That means you're doing your job very well. What are, um, what are, so let's, let's assume our listeners are business owners who don't have an in-house counsel. What are some of the mistakes you think business, business owners are making when it comes to, you know, the law and legal liability and their protection and stuff like that? Sure. So I, I think, and I've seen it in firsthand when you don't have in-house counsel and you start getting into, you know, more sophisticated transactions, you know, the larger your business goes, the more risk you have, depending on what kind of business you run, you know, contractual risk, risk of, of slip and falls, you know, it depends on, depends on what you sell and what you do, but there's always risk. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think, um, uh, I, 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 but so, sorry, hold on, repeat the question. Cause I, I got off track there. That's okay. That's allowed. So mistakes business owners are making. Right. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I, I like to talk. Uh, but so mistakes they're really making, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll try to negotiate their own agreements. Uh, and, you know, then I've come in afterwards and seen them and, and realized they've accepted, uh, you know, all sorts of clauses that they shouldn't accept. Some that aren't so bad and some that are pretty serious. Uh, you know, not only that, uh, you know, even from an insurance standpoint, getting what coverage they think they need because it's cheap not realizing that, you know, if you don't have coverage for something doesn't mean you're not going to suffer the damages, you know, insurance is really to cover you in case those issues come up. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the risk, uh, the risk analysis that's done when you have lawyers and that lawyers do and you're a business person, you know, you really just want to get the deal closed by the end of the quarter so you can book it. Uh, you know, and, and what we do as lawyers, you know, our, our brains work differently. So of course we want to help them close the deal, but we are looking at it from a, a risk for the most part, a, a risk perspective and, and what's the benefit to the company, what's the liability to the company. And then when you're a businessman or a businesswoman, you know, inherent in what you learn in school is, is, you know, get the deal done and, and you know, do as much business as you can. Absolutely. What, I mean, with all this, I mean, you were in litigation, then private practice, now uh, you're in-house counsel. What's your biggest challenge now? My biggest challenge now is, uh, you know, working, and I think any in-house lawyer will, will recognize it, is working with, you know, your company and your executives and your CFO and really trying to show them the value of having in-house counsel. Not, not necessarily the you know value from a risk or, or analysis perspective, but uh, you know from a uh, from a, a need uh, perspective, you know some again if it's the business folks, uh, you know depending on on who they are, tend to look at the bottom line and you know realize that they're paying you know in a house counsel they probably don't need to be or they don't think they need to be, uh, you know and, and uh, you know tend to look at us as obstructionists even though we're really just trying to help the deal close. Uh, so that I think, uh, you know, and, and, you know, having, you're not a, a profit center, so you really just align item in someone's budget. So it's really trying to prove to business people who really want to get the deal done, who are really looking at the bottom line, uh, you know, the value of, uh, you know, the value of, of in-house counsel. Thank goodness the folks I work with see that, uh, but that is, uh, you know, even then there's still the days, uh, you know, that I don't think they do, 
Uh, but I think most in-house counsel, especially as you get more senior in your roles, uh, tend to uh, you know tend to run into that on a uh, you know somewhat regular basis. But that's part of you know, that's part of the risk and part of the understanding when you go in-house is is that's what's going to happen. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? And so I really like. Uh, I mean, from a technology standpoint, I really like just digging into the details and really figuring out, you know, the details of each, you know, piece of software or hardware, and then, uh, you know, kind of the, the thrill of the negotiation, as dorky as that sounds, uh, you know, kind of the back and forth, uh, you know, trying to get the best deal for your for your client, whether it's your, you know, employer in-house or, or a, a third-party client if you're, if you're in private practice. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's probably it. Now, you talked a little bit about technology, working on the technology side, working on the privacy side. Um, I'm sure there are more parts to your role than that. How do you, and they're all different areas, right? Some overlap, but they're all, how do you stay on top of the trends and what's going on in all of those different overlapping fields? So, you know, as, as the you know, senior in-house counsel, you tend to become somewhat more of a generalist. So I still, you know, I'm, I'm no expertise is still the privacy technology part. Uh, but, you know, there's risk analysis and what insurance is right. And if you don't have a risk department, you now are the, you know, basically the risk department. And so trying to figure all that, uh, you know, all that out. And, and you know, for example, if we had a patent lawsuit, you got to go get outside counsel. So a lot of times for the really detailed stuff, uh, especially a small, smaller legal group, uh, you know, you, you in large part depend on, uh, you know, especially for, for you know, kind of, um, you know, either, uh, you know, bet the company type of stuff or, or you know, more specific, uh, you know, really specific practice area stuff that you usually depend on an outside counsel, which gets expensive, but that's another part of being in-house counsel is you got to manage the, the spend. Absolutely. For our folks watching and listening who might want to learn more, um, is there, where is the, where's the best place for them to go to learn more about you? Is that LinkedIn? Is that a website? Uh, yeah, so LinkedIn, I have a profile there. Uh, you know, it's probably the best place being a privacy attorney. I uh, don't have a large presence online. Uh, you know, I think I have a Twitter account, which uh, I think I get pinged on my email once in a while. I probably have never looked at it. You know, I don't use Facebook because all of the issues that Facebook has had. Uh, so, you know, I'm there. My contact information is there if, if anybody wants to contact me. And, you know, if anybody listening is a young lawyer and kind of wants to figure out, you know, how, how to, you know, kind of follow my footsteps or what they, you know, what I think about going in-house, whatever it may be, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to speak with them. You know, as I said, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I think my actual contact information is, is in there as well, but they can always send me a message. Awesome. Well, we greatly appreciate that. Since you do handle a lot of technology and privacy work. Um, and you just talked about Facebook. Well, you kind of opened the door just a little bit. How do you feel about all of the stuff that's been going on in, let's say, the online social media world in terms of where we're headed? So, you know, I mean, from a uh, from a pure privacy perspective, you know, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks of the world, I don't think anything's intentional. It's just you get so big and, and you know, these technology companies, social media companies in large part depend on personal information, you know, for, for ad revenue, for example, for directed ad revenue. You know, if I'm on Facebook and I'm talking about, you know, race cars and those are a bunch of my pictures and all my friends are, you know, race car advocates uh, or race car enthusiasts, uh, you know, I'm going to get an ad on, on uh, you know, Facebook 
for something about race cars. And that's yes. because they've been able to see my information. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, I don't think they shouldn't. It's just, you know, as, as you grow these companies, I think they need to be a bit, um, not a bit smarter, but a bit tighter in, in their over uh, their overview. You know, I think Facebook and them are doing a good job now, but it's kind of, you know, after the fact. And then yes. I think, so they're going back and doing what they should have done, uh, you know, to build it in. In fact, the privacy, you call it privacy by design. You kind of build, build it in as you're building the product. Uh, so, you know, from a privacy perspective, uh, you know, I, I think they're getting better. Uh, it's just, you know, some of the jurisdictions in the world, like the EU, are really strict on, on use of privacy or private information. Kind of from a more social uh, aspect, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's a uh, it's going to be an interesting world, you know, with uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter, uh, you know. So I think that's going to probably throw a, a gigantic wrench into the social media world. I don't know what it's going to be, but I, I think he, uh, you know, he's going to change the use of that platform uh, to some extent, which I think is going to have a kind of trickle down effect on on all the other social media uh, you know, platforms that we, I mean, that we use. All right. Well, we know your time's incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. This has been Seth Green here with Gabe Koch. Gabe, thanks so much for joining us. Sure. Thank you. Talk to you soon, Seth. Yep. Special thank you to, again, to Bob Lehman for connecting us. Thank you all for watching and listening. We will talk to you or see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level, but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.